Welcome to The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has over a million listeners around the world. The Common Bridge is available on Substack.com and draws guests and audiences across the political spectrum. Hello and welcome to The Common Bridge. I'm your host, Rich Helpy. Today, a very important topic in international affairs. As you know, Finland and Sweden have been invited to join NATO. Both countries have made application. This has ramifications beyond a simple joining of a military alliance. And today from Finland, we have an expert on this topic, Mr. Timo Stewart. Mr. Stewart, welcome to The Common Bridge. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Rich. It's great to be here. Good. Are you in Helsinki today? I am. It's a uh, it's rainy spring afternoon in Helsinki. Sounds lovely. I wish I was there doing this in person with you. Uh, the Common Bridge, of course, is on Substack.com. Go to Substack.com, look up The Common Bridge. We're on most podcast outlets, YouTube TV, and of course, on your Radio Garden app, you can find us on Mission Control Radio. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that war is being waged in the Ukraine. I believe this is the 99th day of the Russians' invasion. Russia, of course, has a long history of invading neighboring countries. Goes back hundreds of years, recent decades, 1956 invasion of Hungary, 1968 invasion of Czechoslovakia. Of course, Finland and Russia have their own history of wars. From 1939 to 1945, some most recent fierce fighting for the homeland, but that history also goes back centuries. Former Soviet bloc countries such as Poland are now members of NATO. And our guest today from Finland, Timo Stewart, he is a senior research fellow at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. He has a PhD in political history at the University of Helsinki, and his work has focused on the history of ideas political, religion, and European relationships with the Middle East. His book on the Finnish archaeologist and treasure hunter, Walter Huvelius and Parker Expedition in the late Ottoman Jerusalem won the Laurie Jante Prize for nonfiction and was shortlisted for the Finlandia Prize in 2020. His latest book on the history of Finnish Christian Zionism is coming out this September. So Timo, if you'll pardon my pronunciation, Huva Paiva, and thank you for joining us on The Common Bridge. Huva Paiva, thank you very much. Our audience likes to know a little bit about our guests. So tell us a little bit about your early days. Where'd you grow up? What was your academic preparation like? And, and a little bit about your professional work. Well, I, I grew up in Helsinki uh, and uh, I've basically, basically studied history, history of Finland, uh, history of Europe, history of the Middle East. Uh, history has been my passion for, for many years, but I've also, also worked um, in a number of countries around the world, a lot, lot with conflict resolution, and uh, uh, this, this also has a lot to do with the Middle East, of course. But um, uh, now, uh, for the past uh, past good year or so, I've been here at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. Uh, before that, at the Finnish Foreign Ministry. Uh, so you could say that uh, Finnish history, the history of ideas. Uh, political history in general. The, these are my my passions, and I've been fortunate enough to to be able to to work on those topics as well. And we're very fortunate to have you here as our guest. What is the Finnish Institute of International Affairs? What is that? 
Well, it's it's a research institute uh, that is funded by the Finnish Parliament. Uh, we're uh, an independent uh, institute. Um, we we conduct uh, research on the topics that uh, we find relevant and uh, important. But uh, the Parliament funds us because a lot of the work we do uh, directly benefits the work of uh, the Parliament uh, when debating foreign affairs and international relations. Uh, and of course, uh, Finland being an EU member. Uh, EU policy is also part of what we what we do, and uh, I'm in fact part of the uh, European Union research program here at the at the Institute of International Affairs. That sounds like an intriguing way to spend your days, and I'm sure evenings, but all waking <laughs> waking hours. You've written a lot about Finland and Sweden, or much has been written about them applying for membership in the NATO alliance. Of course, Vladimir Putin has issued threats if. Finland and NATO follow through. Is this risky having Finland join the the NATO alliance? Well, uh, it's something that's been debated and discussed in Finland for uh, uh, well, a good twenty years at least. Um, and uh, for for a long time, um, uh, people would say that look, it it uh, it does it does carry certain risks because uh, uh, previously Russia. Has uh, has on several occasions made it clear that uh, they would not be happy about Finland joining NATO, and uh, Finland has uh, been very careful to maintain uh, good relations with Russia. Uh, so this is something that that uh, nobody wanted to uh, jeopardize. At, at the same time, uh, Russia until last year um, always. Uh, added that it's of course Finland's own choice what it does and uh, Finns being very independent minded we we consider this a very important thing it is our own choice as a sovereign state uh, who to ally with uh, what organizations to join and which ones not to join um, the comments that uh, came from from Moscow at the end of last year that they they uh, uh, would not look kindly to Finland joining that actually pushed a lot of Finns uh, into supporting NATO membership because it uh, it sounded like somebody was trying to boss us around a bit. As as it happens, uh, the the Kremlin put a brave face on on events. Uh, uh, Sergei Lavrov, uh, the Russian foreign minister, he he said in in May that uh, look, it makes no big difference. Uh, Finland and Sweden have been practicing uh, 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 training with NATO for years and. Uh, and uh, Russia doesn't mind too much. So uh, we, we don't consider it a big risk now. Yeah, there's uh, some 800-mile border, plus or minus some. And I know that there are people that think Finland being non-aligned, although militarily interoperable with the Western powers, might be a better position. Does this mean at some point there are going to be NATO bases in Finland, or would Finland troops have to be deployed to protect other parts of NATO, particularly the U.S. dominated? And there are those that think that this is a little bit of an impingement on Finland's independence and sovereignty because, you know, the United States is the 800-pound gorilla here. Any thoughts about that? In Finland, people don't see it as impinging on our sovereignty and it's not something that uh, would be uh, w would be welcomed uh, here finland has uh, i mean it's a small country and population is just five and a half million but uh, our reserve is nine hundred thousand uh, and uh, there's a there's a wartime strength of, of two hundred eighty thousand in, in our military we've got a strong military that's been trained for decades unlike a lot of european countries we never 
decommissioned any parts of our army. We, we um, uh, never let our guard down in, in the sense. So we're not expecting uh, NATO bases, uh, and uh, I don't think NATO is offering any bases. Finland's completely capable of taking care of, of its own, own defense. Uh, what we're looking for in NATO is is uh, an assurance of an alliance, which uh, then makes it, in our view, uh, less likely that we'll need to defend ourselves because it will make war less likely. Uh, but ultimately, we're prepared to uh, to be uh, uh, to take care of our own security and to add to the security of NATO and the NATO allies. That is a comforting thought that Finland will retain its independence, its autonomy, and that rugged Finnish resistance and stubbornness that has seen the country so well throughout history. Let's talk a little bit about history. And I know that this is your area of expertise. I'll try to hang on as much as I can. But Finland had the opportunity to join NATO in 1949 and didn't. What happened then? Well, actually, in 1949, Finland didn't have the opportunity to join NATO. I'd, uh, I'll, I'll maybe, uh, if you allow me, I'll take us back uh, 10 more years. Please. Yes, indeed. And all of us with Finnish heritage are, of course, very proud of the performance of the Finns in the Russo-Finnish wars of that time. So, yeah, 10 years Go back 15. Okay, pick, pick your starting point. Uh, I think 10 will be enough. We'll go back to uh, the autumn of 1939, and uh, uh, Europe's about to be plunged into the Second World War. Uh, Germany and the Soviet Union, they, they sign a non-aggression pact, uh, often now known as the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. And it had a, a uh, secret... Um, a part to it in which uh, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union essentially divided Eastern Europe between them. Uh, so Germany said, look, uh, we're going to take uh, Western Poland and uh, you can take the Baltic states, uh, Eastern Poland and Finland. Um, and uh, this this was, was indeed implemented. Germany invaded uh, Poland, which kicked off World War II. Uh, but uh, a few weeks later, the Soviet Union invaded uh, Poland as well, and uh, they um, uh, demanded military bases in the Baltic states, uh, which uh, the Baltic states were, were then, they made the decision to, to allow. They made similar demands to Finland, uh, but Finland declined, uh, which then resulted in the Soviet invasion of Finland uh, at the end of November 1939. There's actually uh, remarkable parallels in what happened uh, back then compared to uh, this February uh, and uh, the Russian uh, invasion of, of uh, Ukraine. Um, so, so that that started what what Finns call the Winter War. Uh, it was a 105-day war in which uh, there's very heavy fighting. Uh, along the east uh, eastern border. Uh, the Soviet army was unable to invade, but uh, just like in, in Ukraine, they, they made some territorial gains and uh, uh, the, the Finnish uh, losses were, were severe. The Soviet losses were, were even more severe, for which reason they eventually they uh, decided to, to give up on the plan to, to take over Finland and they settled for uh, uh, an armistice and, uh, and a peace agreement in which Finland had to cede large territories. Uh, so we'll, we'll skip a bit and uh, 
That was part of the Carilion Peninsula. They had to yeah. had to cede. And of course, the military tactics that the Finns employed are have been long studied. How a, a smaller, more adept army on their own territory can defeat a larger army. And you talked about the historical parallels. I know that the Ukrainian invasion they thought was going to go easier. And what I've read about the Winter War, that you know some of the Russian troops were up there with summer uniforms. Not a good strategy when you're going into Finland in the winter time. No, it definitely wasn't. Uh, it was it was a very cold winter, and uh, the Finnish army was was uh, motivated. Uh, there were no illusions about uh, what would happen if if uh, if Finland uh, lost. Um, there was a uh, uh, at that stage, uh, Finns knew about Stalin's purges in the 30s. They knew about the Gulag. They knew about the fate of the Ingrians who were executed en masse and deported to Siberia. So uh, there was this this idea that uh, uh, look, uh, we have to fight for our homes. We have to fight for our country. Uh, so people who'd been on separate sides of the bloody civil war of 1918, they they all fought the Soviet Union, and uh, it was a sort of a unifying experience for the country. Uh, but uh, whether it was a victory or not uh, uh, is is something that Finns like to debate. Uh, the the fact is that uh, that Finland had to accept very heavy uh, uh, losses of territory, and uh, and uh, the war continued again in 1941. It was called a continuation war, but it ended fairly in a fairly similar way. Finns lost uh, uh, land. 400,000 Finns had to move from from uh, parts of uh, Karelia to the rest of Finland. Uh, Finland had to pay heavy war reparations. Uh, the Soviet military actually had a had a base in uh, in Porkala, which is is uh, uh, just close enough to Helsinki to be able to bombard it with artillery uh, if if necessary. Uh, so this was the situation until 1956. Um, Finland retained its independence, and uh, Finland uh, was able to maintain a democratic system. Uh, but there was this uh, this very heavy Soviet presence uh, that uh, that Finnish foreign policy during the Cold War tried to manage in various ways. Um, it, it wasn't uh, possible to join NATO or even to accept the uh, uh, the Marshall Aid uh, plan uh, because anything that the Soviets would um, would object to too strenuously, then carried the risk of an actual Soviet invasion and the curtailment of, of independence. So this was a very tricky time. So NATO membership in 1949 and all the way until 1991 was was uh, completely off off the table. And uh, during that time, uh, Finland uh, was was careful to maintain uh, close relations and and uh, as friendly relations as possible with the Soviets, but. It, Keeping a military that was was uh, drilled and uh, kept strong, and uh, uh, and the idea was that uh, look, uh, we're going to play nice, so there's no reason to evade. But if if you do, it's not going to be easy. I understand that the president for some 25 years, Orhu uh, Kekkonen, again forgive my pronunciation, was very instrumental in keeping the Soviets at bay. Well, that was that was his uh, that was part uh, the the biggest part of his his foreign policy legacy, and uh, uh, he's also he's controversial in Finland. Uh, uh, as he said, he was president for uh, twenty five years, which is uh, not a not a healthy amount of time uh, 
for one person to to be be a president of a democracy. Um, so th this Cold War period is is uh, is a time that um, uh, the Finns now look back on. At least a lot of Finns look back on it with with uh, with a bit of uh, self criticism. Uh, Maybe uh, some people went too far in understanding Soviet wishes in Finland. Uh, perhaps things could have been done a little bit differently, but it's, it's easier to say, of course, in hindsight. Uh, it was a difficult position that Finland was in. Now, in 1991, the Soviet Union falls. What difference does that make for Finland? And we know what happened in the map of Europe. This is when Ukraine was no longer a captive state, but a, an independent state. So what's going on in, in Finland? What's going on at the time in Ukraine? And how are things advancing from that point in 1991? Well, it was a, it was a breath of fresh air for Finland. Uh, uh, Soviet Union fell. Russia was... was uh, looked like it was starting on a path towards uh, democracy and multi-party, uh, healthy, open society. Um, uh, and at the same time, there's a lot of uh, a lot of concern about um, uh, what was happening in Russia. There was a lot of instability. Uh, the Russian economy took took some while to uh, get get on its feet. Uh, there was outright poverty uh, across the border. Uh, so Finns were also also a little bit wary, but but uh, the dissolution of the Soviet Union it, it uh, gave Finland the possibility to uh, uh, apply for membership in the European Union, uh, which which Finland promptly did, uh, uh, and uh, uh, to to cement its ties uh, to uh, Europe to the West, which uh, which we feel were very much part of that. Uh, European Union, a European community membership wouldn't have been possible uh, during Soviet times for us. As of now, I can understand how this turmoil has developed. In Finland today, what I've read is that there is a lot of support for joining NATO. And what does Finland hope that those people that advocate joining NATO, already in the European Union, already kind of economically aligned with the West, already part of the countries that have practiced a democratic form of government, tiny nation, about an eighth of the size of the population of Ukraine. And now Putin says, don't join NATO or else. And Finland says, no, we're going to join. What do the proponents of joining NATO think the benefits are? Well, uh, they, they look at uh, Georgia. They look at Ukraine. Uh, I mean, the Russia invaded Georgia in 2008 uh, and invaded uh, Ukraine in 2014, uh, uh, took over Crimea, uh, sponsored uh, uh, and uh, militants in, in the Donbass and basically has been fighting a war there ever since. Uh, this invasion in February was just um, uh, sort of uh, upping the stakes from, from a situation that had been going on for eight years. So uh, people look at that and and uh, and see that look these are two countries that were trying to uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, increase their ties with the West. Uh, we're talking about NATO membership, uh, but since they weren't NATO members, uh, Russia felt uh, free to invade because uh, uh, it could be relatively certain that that NATO wouldn't actually um, wouldn't actually intervene. Uh, probably Russia calculated that the West wouldn't uh, wouldn't even send weapons or or give the support that uh, that has been shown to Ukraine now. Uh, 
but but uh, to a lot of Finns, uh, I mean, NATO membership support jumped from 25% to about 75% uh, in just a matter of a few months. Uh, because the idea was until then that, uh, okay, Russia has been going in a, in a really disconcerting direction for years. Uh, the space for free society has been curtailed and then there's been shrinking. Uh, journalists have been murdered and killed. Uh, uh, free press stifled. Uh, democratic rights uh, trampled on. The whole system uh, has, has been rigged in the favor of, of uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's party. Uh, all these things we've we've watched and we've seen, but uh, uh, despite Georgia and despite 2014 in Ukraine, most Finns thought that uh, Russia would, wouldn't uh, want to challenge the international security system in Europe as blatantly as it did. But now that it did, it seems that um, uh, all bets are off. So uh, in, in this situation, um, most Finns feel that uh, even though uh, we have strong defense, uh, we'd rather be in a situation where we don't have to use it. Uh, and uh, Russia probably wouldn't uh, want to pick a fight with NATO. So better join NATO and, uh, and then we can, uh, we can uh, ride out this rough period uh, without actually having a war. I really appreciate that insight because for people that don't live next to this giant Russia, and the country becoming more unstable, more dangerous, more aggressive, what they did in Chechnya, what they did in Georgia, what they did in Ukraine, the rumblings they've made about the Baltic states. And that more than kind of makes sense is that, look, they're getting more dangerous and behind door number one, we can fight them again with our own resources at great loss. And ultimately, they've got a much bigger economy and a much bigger military, or we can be part of NATO and have many nations, including the United States, most powerful military on the planet, backing us up. With this alliance, is there any thought or any risk about things like NATO putting in defensive missiles or something like that on Finnish territory that the Russians might look at as a threat? So by way of illustrating that, if there were nuclear armaments deployed into Finland, they could be in Moscow in you know, a minute versus Moscow's ability to retaliate against the United States would take 30 minutes, 40 minutes or so. Is the alliance doing anything that might precipitate war or is this threat just there and it's just got to be dealt with? Things are very clear in, in uh, our membership in NATO being all about defense. And uh, we view NATO as a defensive alliance. Uh, uh, Russia has, uh, has been trying to betray uh, NATO as this aggressive, expansive force that keeps taking over territory, but it's not how it works. Uh, countries, uh, democratic countries, uh, decide to apply for membership and join NATO uh, voluntarily because just the opposite, they're afraid of Russia, which actually is trying to aggressively take over countries. So, uh, so Finns definitely don't want a war with Russia, and uh, and uh, uh, we wouldn't be this eager to join NATO if we thought that NATO wants war with Russia. Uh, we, we don't think anybody wants a war with Russia. Uh, we'd rather resolve issues peacefully. But if Russia wants war, uh, we must be ready to, uh, uh, to be strong. Uh, th there's been uh, a debate in Finland about uh, NATO's deployment of missiles or bases and all that. 
th there's no reason to think that uh, it would make any uh, tactical sense to to deploy uh, nuclear weapons, for example, in Finland. Uh, there's there's uh, perfectly good fast delivery devices uh, available. Uh, also, placing nuclear uh, weapons so close to a frontier presents uh, other tactical uh, problems. So, so Finns are not asking for bases. They're not asking for missiles. And I think there'd be quite a strong public opposition, uh, 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 not to speak of it uh, still being illegal, for example, to deploy nuclear weapons in Finland. Uh, so we're not we're not uh, looking for that, and we're not expecting that. Do you have any insight at all? It's not something that we thought we'd be talking about today, but uh, Turkey is resisting both Sweden and Finland. I don't understand at all their objections, or if they're using it for political leverage elsewhere. Any insight into why Turkey is objecting at the moment to the joining of NATO by Finland and Sweden? Well, it, uh, uh, my reading is that it's just mainly for political leverage. Uh, they're trying to maximum out their political leverage uh, ahead of the, uh, the NATO summit in Madrid. Um, and uh, uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. It, it probably has more to do with the United States-Turkey uh, relations than anything uh, actually to do with Finland and Sweden. Uh, and uh, we, we certainly hope that uh, this can be sorted out. Um, it it's uh, is not particularly helpful now for the uh, for the uh, public uh, debate in Finland concerning NATO. Um, there's also been a strand of thinking here in which NATO is seen as a club of Western democracies. So Finland being a Western democracy, uh, why not join all the other clubs that Western democracies are, are members of? Uh, and uh, uh, Turkey's behavior in recent years hasn't exactly uh, portrayed it in, in, in this light. And now them blocking Finland's membership and Sweden's membership uh, is certainly not, not helping the issue. Uh, so we also see it as, as, uh, as an internal NATO problem that we hope that NATO will, will iron out. It seems that one member is, is uh, using outright blackmail uh, uh, at the expense of actual uh, real politic uh, uh, benefits for the alliance to achieve some maybe domestic politic uh, uh, benefits or maybe maybe some uh, some leverage on on uh, more minor issues. That's the way it appears to me. But again, I'm not a historian or an international expert by a long shot. And you know, Sweden coming in, and I think Sweden's got an interesting history. They seem to have been at war with everybody around them for centuries. They just can't get along, apparently, but uh, they're they're behaving <laughs> now. Uh, Timo, this has been really fascinating. What didn't we cover today that perhaps we should have discussed? When you're thinking about these literally earth-changing issues, what are some of the questions that your policy advisors or heads of state are asking of you that we didn't have a chance to talk about yet? Well, here the debate very much is is uh, now now focusing on on uh, on Turkey and uh, also on uh, what, what's happening with with Ukraine, um, and what the possible outcome of the war uh, could be, uh, how would it be possible to to uh, uh, get Russia to uh, end uh, its invasion as as quickly as possible? But maybe. Um, 
maybe something that that uh, in the U.S. people are, are not not as uh, familiar with as as you are having having finished roots. Uh, but uh, um, the the perception of of Russia in Finland is maybe something that that's not not fully appreciated outside of Finland. We've for decades lived with the memory of, of uh, the events of the Second World War and uh, f- they're very much tied to Finnish independence and Finnish uh, sort of the desire for self-determination. Um, so, for example, my father is from New Zealand, actually, uh, and uh, he he moved to Finland uh, over 40 years ago and uh, and uh, married my mother and uh, he had a he had a very interesting conversation with uh, with my grandfather uh, before uh, he married my mother. My grandfather, being a being a typical Finnish man, he he took his uh, future son-in-law. He saw saw that they were being serious, so he took him to the to the sauna. And uh, they're sitting there in the hot room, and uh, he wasn't a man of many words, but he um, he turned around at one point and said, "What will you do when the Russians invade?" <laughs> and uh, it wasn't it wasn't if it was when <laughs> so he he was not um uncommon for his generation he'd lost his home in in Karelia, uh in the war and uh uh and uh, th- this is these sorts of stories run in every family indeed if i could respond to that as i was leaving my cousin's home he points proudly to the finnish flag and of course i don't speak finn he didn't speak any english and as a typical Finn, that man, he just spoke louder and faster so that I would understand. <laughs> but one of my other cousins said, interpreted, he said, he wants to show you our flag has no tools on it and mm-hmm. you know, no hammer, no sickle. And and yeah, very yeah. proud of that. And yeah, the family members, of course, fought in those wars. Most of them are, are since uh, passed at this point. But I don't think people understand the geography and how close Finland is. I mean, it shares that long border, Barents Sea ports and such. It's sleeping next to a giant that could wake up at any moment and decide to get hostile. Yeah, this is this is uh, exactly uh, the way Finns uh, feel about it, and and uh, it's, it's something that that's been built into the national culture and ways of dealing with it have been built into society in many ways. Finland's uh, on many levels is all about readiness and being prepared for. For crisis, for for conflict, and for mobilizing society. So, so w- when we we talk about NATO, we're not um, we're not thinking to be security free riders. Uh, we're a, we're a competent society that's uh, learned to deal with living in a very very tough spot. Uh, but uh, what's changed is the assessment of the future, and uh, we feel that it's better to face these challenges together with allies rather than on, on our own. Are there any policies that, other than, than what we've discussed, that would be particularly good or particularly bad in this situation, given Russians' aggression toward Ukraine and saber-rattling against other states? Well, I think appeasement is very dangerous. Uh, that's that's a bad policy. It uh, um, I, I, I'm not too fond of uh, historical comparisons because uh, uh, history uh, history uh, sort of repeats itself, but but it's always unique. Uh, but I, I think there's there's enough examples from the past uh, to to see that you can't uh, you can't give in to bullies uh, uh, if you have um, 
have a country that uh, invades its neighbor unprovoked, uh, it can't be seen to benefit from that. Uh, so so uh, this is this is something that uh, I think we should all remember uh, going into uh, this summer and if the war continues into next winter and uh, possibly uh, rising prices and uh, 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 more uh, cracks in, in uh, Western unity. Um, it, it may cost to fight a war, uh, it may cost to support Ukraine fighting its war, but, uh, uh, but what they're doing essentially is, is fighting for all of us. Indeed, yes. And uh, I think that's a great articulation of where we stand. I had uh, Professor Jesse Kaufman on my show a few weeks ago, professor of European history, and his take at that time, he doesn't see the Ukraine war ending absent regime change either in Ukraine or in Moscow. He doesn't see how this ends with both the current administrations in place in both countries. Do you see any way that they could resolve that? And that's, again, I know that's not your exact area of expertise, but you are studying that area. Is it possible for Putin to somehow declare victory and get out? Hard to say. Uh, very hard to say. Uh, it. Um, I think a lot lot will depend on... on uh, Military successes and failures uh, on, on the on the battlefield. Um, if uh, if Russia manages to consolidate its hold over the Donbass, uh, it's possible that they could uh, uh, they could uh, try and call it a day and uh, freeze uh, the front lines, and uh, um, and then that will be a whole different situation. Um, if the Ukrainian uh, defenses don't hold, uh, if the Russians manage to to break through in the east, uh, then there's there's no telling they they might not stop until uh, until uh, they've they've uh, taken Kiev. Uh, so at least my hope is that they uh, that the Ukrainians will uh, will be supported and will be able to uh, fight on and eventually to uh, free all their territory. That would be a great conclusion. Uh, Timo, you've been a great guest today. I'm, uh, of course, very excited to have this opportunity. Uh, as we wrap up today, any closing thoughts uh, at all about these topics or anything else? Uh, it's been a it's been a long day, I guess, but I'm I'm just I'll be very happy to uh, uh, to be with you here on the show and uh, and uh, to to all the listeners uh, out there. Um, we'll be very happy to join as your NATO allies, hopefully in the very near future. We look forward to having you. So on the Common Bridge with our special guest from Helsinki today, Mr. Timo Stewart, please look him up. His full bio will be on Richard Helpy's Common Bridge on Substack. Listen for us on your favorite podcast outlet, YouTube TV, and of course, Mission Control Radio. So with our guest today, Timo Stewart, this is your host, Rich Helpy, signing off on the Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Please subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com, where you can find more interviews, columns, podcasts, video, and other nonpartisan discussions to the problems of today. On Substack, you can access the full archive and bonus columns, podcasts, and interviews for only $5 a month. Please go to Substack.com and search for The Common Bridge and subscribe.